0: Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. Your identity is one of your most important discoveries in life. It's important because it'll affect... Well, everything. It affects how you see the world. It affects how you interact with other people. It'll impact your relationships. It'll absolutely directly impact your relationship with God. So we thought we would do this series about identity because I wanted to explain a simple truth to the seemingly complicated question about who you are. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I know who I am And, and maybe you've got some ideas about that. But one of the things that we've discovered over the last three to four weeks is that it's not as simple as it seems. So if I was to ask you this morning, who are you, and you have an answer in your head about what that is, I just want to say, be very careful how you answer that question. Be very careful about how you answer that question because it does have implications for you in your life. And one of the things that we've also discovered is that where you get your identity is often where you find your value. And your value could be something that's high or it could be something that's low. So maybe you think you're not very good at something. And as a result, you have, you know, maybe low self-esteem because you, you don't think great thoughts about yourself because your identity is in something that, in all honesty, you, you shouldn't have put it in in the first place. So I thought look, it, it might actually be easier if we start with what you are not. And we talked about this over the last couple of weeks, but let's just kind of review this morning. Let's start with what you are not. You are not your job. You're not your job. You, you can't be your job. And I understand that it's part of our Vernacular is our language. It's how we communicate. When somebody says, "I am a builder," or "I am this," or "I am that," it's what we say. We say we are things, right? But you're actually not those things. It's just how we speak. You, you, you can't be your job. I mean, geez, every time you change your job, your identity would have to shift and change. And to be honest, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So if we say, if I say to you, you know, who are you? Uh, you are not, for example, uh, your bank balance right now. How many of us know that that changes? And you might be surprised about how many people think thoughts about themselves or find their value in how they think they're going in life. And maybe you've done very well in life and things are going really well and your your bank balance is high. And because of that, you feel very successful and, and so forth, but you could lose that resource. And if you were to lose that resource, you could lose your identity. So you probably shouldn't put it in how you're going, you know, financially or how you're prospering in life. You definitely can't put it in your accomplishments. I mean, your accomplishments, they sort of come and sure, they, they stick around for a little while. But guys, if, if the big thing for you in life is that you won your under eights cross country at your, your primary school, right? You got to move on, all right? You've got it, but there's a life after, you know, grade two or whatever. And you, you, you've got to move on. You shouldn't make your whole life about that moment. And if that's true for that moment, then it's got to be true for every moment, right? So you shouldn't make your, your life or your value about any of your accomplishments. And I reckon that's the tricky one, actually, because I think there are a lot of people when they think about their value, they try to think about their accomplishments because that's what they're good at, and they immediately attach their value to that as well. So you can't find your identity. In any of those things. And I promise you another thing, you're never going to find your identity in comparison to someone else. Because whenever you have thoughts about yourself, it's often in relation to somebody else. So whether you think that you're tall or short or skinny or whatever, whatever the thoughts are that you have about you, it's often who you are in comparison to someone else. And when you compare yourself to others and you think that that's a good place to find your value, what if the people around you change? What if they change? Then your identity has to change as well, doesn't it? And so, you know, the more that you think about it, it does make it hard or maybe complicated to put your identity into any of these things. It just doesn't make sense. So, so who, like, who are you really? Who are you really? Well, if you ever want to find out what something is for, you would go to its creator, wouldn't you? You would go to a creator of anything to find out what something is for. And the creator of that thing, whatever that thing is, is in the unique position of being able to understand its design, its intention, and its inherent value. And because that thing belongs to the creator, they have ownership over not only what it does, but also how it should be labeled, yeah? yeah? Can you see where I might be going with this? Yep, yep, yep. So, so they have rights over that too. Let me give you an example of this. If I was to go to the Coca Cola company and say, "Listen, I've been having to think about this, and honestly, Coca Cola just doesn't sound right to me. I reckon rebranding. Let's call it something else." They'd say, "You can't do that," <laughs> and 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 get out. How did you get in here? Um, and and uh, why why can't I do that? Why can't I label Coca Cola as something else? You know, because I don't have the right to do it right i don't have the right to do it because i'm not its creator i don't even own it so something when when somebody owns something when it belongs to them they have the right to label it whatever they want it To be, And this is just how our relationship works with God. And if you were to go to God and ask Him, and this applies to every single person in the room this morning, maybe you're a person here and you have no faith in Jesus. And and if that's true, or no faith at all. And if that's true, what I'm about to say will still be true for you. If you were to go to your Creator, which is God, and you were to say, Who am I? He would say, You are loved. Who am I? Oh, you, you, you're loved. You, you are loved. And how can we be so sure about that? Well, the Scriptures are God's revelation of who He is to us. And you know what they say? They say in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. He loves the world. Now, it doesn't matter who you are. And even if you've never accepted Jesus into your life, the truth right now this morning in this place is that God absolutely loves you. That's true for everyone. And that gospel message, I think is a very powerful message. When you come to the understanding that God loved you so much that he decided to fix things in your life by paying the penalty for all of your mistakes and giving you who he is giving you his righteousness as as a free gift that you receive. I think that's pretty amazing. Now, all of us have heard the same stuff And every single one of us can say equally, yes, we are loved by God, whether you're a person of faith or not. But there would be a a smaller group on planet Earth that believe what I just said and have put their faith and their trust and their hope in Jesus. Why? Because it's changed them. And if you put your faith and your hope in Jesus, it will change you from the inside out and then if you were to go to your creator after making a decision to put your faith in Jesus and changing your life from the direction which it was going and starting to pursue a life with Jesus, if that person went to God and they said, who am I? He would say, you are mine. Do you see the difference? every single one of us is loved by God, but those who put their faith in Jesus and who have a relationship with God through Jesus, he would say something different. You're not only loved, you belong to me, you're mine. And since we belong to Him, He has the right to label us any way that He wants to label us. He can call us what He wants to call us. And so what does that mean? Well, Guys, that means that we would find our value not in any of the things that, I'm ta- that I've talked about before, that list of things that we would get rid of. We would find our value in what our Creator says about us, yeah? So your value would be found in what? Well, yes, partially in, in your relationship with Jesus, but, but also there is even this inherent value, I think, that, that all of us have in some way, that we are created in the image of God. Isn't that beautiful? Like we just take this stuff for granted. Like, yeah, of course, because all the people you know are created in the image of God and there's so many of us and you just kind of assume that this is what was meant to happen and always happen. Well, oh, think about it. Humanity stands out amongst all creation. We are created in the image of God in, in a way in which nothing else has been created that way. And there is some value in our lives and who we are because of that. If that's not enough for you, one of the things that we learn if you read Psalm 139 is that you, you, not just the person next to you, but you this morning, you have been knitted together in your mother's womb. That means that God took his time with you, that he watched over you that He thought about you. It says that you've been knitted together in your mother's womb, that He says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And if you believe God, He says that about you. And to me, I think that is beautiful. To me, that kind of stands out and it's astonishing to me. So God calls you His, which means what? You are made in His image. You are loved by God. He knitted you together. He planned you. He didn't just craft you, pick you and hold you. He says you are mine. That makes you God's family. You are a child of God. And if you've been trying to figure out and all the things that you could put your identity in, that's the place that you should be putting it. In the fact that God loves you, He calls you His own. You are a child of God. Because I always say it like this. If you got it in this world, you can lose it in this world. It applies to everything, right? Whatever you get here, you can lose here. But when God loves you, His love is out of this world, like literally out of this world. And it's fixed and it's eternal and it changes you and it transforms you. You are different from the inside out. And the moment anybody accepts what I'm talking about today and believes that God has paid the penalty for their sins and they've accepted a life by following Jesus, they are changed. Their value has shifted from all the things that they could have put their identity in to that one thing that God says that you are. And when that shift and that change happens, the Bible has a word for that. It says that you have become born again. And if you are new to church, and you don't know what that means, or it sounds a little bit confusing, I, I can get it. I, I can understand that. In fact, you know, the first person to talk about being born again was Jesus, and he was explaining it to a great theologian of the Old Testament, and he didn't understand it either. His name was Nicodemus. And I want to read to you about when Jesus first explained that. So John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. And he, Nicodemus was the number one teacher in Israel. So if people wanted to know, understand things about the Old Testament, right, the, the Hebrew Bible, they would go and speak to him. He was a ruler of the Jews. Verse two, it says, this man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, and I promise you, (laughs) he was being generous when he said that, maybe trying to butter Jesus up because Jesus never went to Bible college. (laughs) And so Rabbi means teacher. And you would only call someone that did, that went and studied, you'd call them Rabbi. So he's calling him Rabbi. He's being very nice when he says that. He says, we know that you're a teacher uh, come from God. For no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly. Whenever Jesus says, truly, truly, just know that whatever comes after that, it is very important. He says, truly, truly, I say to you that unless one is, what does that say? Born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Then he asks a weird question. He says, can he enter a a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I mean, I just feel like Nicodemus would need some counseling even after. He must have thought about it before he said it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth flows, right? So he must have been thinking, okay, all right, so how does this actually work, you know? And so that is just weird. But Jesus says, come on, you got to stop thinking physically. He's talking spiritually. Jesus answered, truly, truly. So this is important. Again, He says, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh and that which of born is Spirit is Spirit. Before I started working at church in my old job, uh, it's sort of the news sort of got out about me being a Christian. Evidently it was news because people had talked about it. And I remember somebody coming to me one day and they said, "Um, hey, you, you're one of those, um," and I went, Christian? And they went, "Mm, no, um, you're a, uh," I'm like, Pentecostal. They're like, no, 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 no. You're one of those, uh, happy, clappy. I'm like, born again? They're like, yes, that's it. That's the one I was looking for. Uh, are you a one of those born again Christians? And I said, yes, I am. And just newsflash, there's no other kind. <laughs> Guys, there's no other kind. There's no other form of Christian. Yep. Every Christian has to be born again. Anybody that comes to you and says, well, there's born again Christians and there's those that are just the normal, regular, everyday variety Christian, right? (laughs) I'm like, well, actually, that's not how the Bible puts it. And if we're forming theology, guys, best place to form it is out of what the Word of God says, not just what we think or we, we feel. We're not about that. We're about what Jesus says. And if you read the words that I just said to you, he said there's only one kind of Christian and it's one who's born again, he said, you won't even enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. He actually said something beyond that. He said, you're not even going to see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. So evidently you need to be born again to both see and enter the kingdom of God. And, and, and that's, that's just one kind of Christian. And every single person who belongs to God is spiritually reborn. They are what we call born again. And when we are born again, I tell you, it has a purpose. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, According to His, that's being God's, according to God's great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. We have been born again spiritually. We are spiritually reborn to what? A living hope. If you're a Christian, you're meant to have Hope. There's some hope in your life. What's hope? Hope is things that we look to in the future. It's what we're believing for. It's what we're expecting. There's a great anticipation of maybe something in our future. We have hope that things can get better. We believe what the, that things can get better. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to have that hope. I remember when I was in high school and, you know, you get to about year 10 and then they start to talk to you about your future And I remember some of my teachers said to me, well, you know, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. What are you going to do when you leave school? I don't know. They're like, well, you better see a careers counselor. So I went and saw Mrs. Rowlands at church. And we sat down and she had a good conversation with me. And she said, well, what 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 do you really want to do when you leave school? I said, I don't know. Well, what, do you, what would you say that you're good at? I don't know. <laughs> well, what are you? What subjects do you enjoy the most? I don't know. Like, I mean, really, it started to go downhill from here. She's like, come on, you've you got to come up with something. You've got to be something that you enjoy. What you you, you want to go to uni? And I was like, yeah, because that's what you do. Well, okay, great. You want to go to uni? Yeah, yeah. What do you want to do? I don't know. You see the problem, right? Because I had no idea what I wanted to do. And, and, and that process actually felt a little bit hopeless for me because I was like, I don't actually, at this point in my life, I didn't really look to the future with hope and anticipation of what would come next in, in, in my life. All right, so, so that's just for me at that point in my life. But let me ask you the question this morning. What do you hope for? What do you look forward to in life? What, what, are, you, what are you expecting? What, what fills you with hope? But I guess that question would be answered by different people depending on the stage that you're in in life. Yeah? Yeah, because when you're at a different stage of life, you're, you're expecting different things and yet you, maybe you're hoping for different things. I just thought this morning I'd have a crack at it. I thought, I'm going to come up with a list of things that hopefully you're hoping for, or maybe you're hoping for, okay? So how how about this one? Let's try it out. Um, You have hope to have a great job, yeah? Yeah. Like if you don't have a job, you you, you hope that you're going to have a great job in life. Yep. Okay. All right. Um, You hope that you're going to find love. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah? Well, and... (laughs) Some of us more than others, Liam Ting. Well, here's the other thing. I understand Liam's response, but all, to all the married people that said yes, why are you still hoping to find love? We will offer counseling right after the service and prayer for any married couple that said yeah. And amongst those voices, I'm pretty sure I heard you, mum. So anyway, you're meant to already love your husband, my father. Jeez. Anyway, we'll talk about this over family lunch. So there was a setting way to find out. No, just joking. But, but like, you know, your you hope doesn't. Isn't that true? Like, don't people hope that they find love? Yeah, people hope that they find love. What about this? Your hope to be wealthy. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Russell was really confident because he was in the first service. But What's really funny is when you say to a bunch of Christians, do you hope to be wealthy? They're like, "Oh, geez, I don't know what to say here. Like, uh, Well, guys, it's actually okay. Don't just, just don't put it ahead of your relationship with Jesus. Wouldn't it be better if the wealth of the world was laid up for the saints to use on advancing the kingdom of God? Yeah. Yeah. Well, guys, guess what? As long as you don't worship it, it's okay to hope to be wealthy. So yes, that's something that you could hope for. What about a house? Does anybody hope to buy a house one day? That dream is slipping away for our younger generations, right? But yes, people are hoping to have a house one day. Uh, Some people might be hoping to have kids. That might be a very real thing. They're hoping to have kids. But depending on your age and stage of life, maybe the thing that you're really hoping for is to actually have grandkids. And and that's what you want next in life. Okay, so, so everyone could say, yes, we hope for these things. We're looking forward to these things. But guys, then what? Like, what after that? So, so let's say you, you have all of these things and you, and you have, you know, grandkids. You've achieved all of those things and you've got great grandkids. And, and then what, what, do you, what do you look forward to next? Well, what, what, what could be coming next for you? Well, guys, just to let you know, at the end of your life, um, the thing that awaits you is this thing that we call death. It happens at the very end. And it might sound a little bit dark this morning, but guys, guess what? It shouldn't be news to anyone. Uh, You know, death has a 100% strike rate. Just want to let you know that, that, that that day comes for all of us. So let's say that you get to the end of your life and the reality is we don't always know when the end of our life is going to be. But let's say it was impending and you were just near the end of your life. What kind of hope could you possibly have then? Yeah? All right, well, let's ask you this question. What are you hoping for after you die? What about that? What are you hoping for after you die? Like, and and yeah, about this for another question: Where do you go after you die? Well, there are options, two in fact, and I'll tell you about option A. That's the one that most people really like, uh, which is heaven. And what does that mean? It means that you go into heaven, actually you won't be in heaven forever. Heaven will eventually come to earth. But what you will do is you will spend time with God in eternity. You'll have what they call eternal life. That's option A. Guys, it's a great option. It's a great option, right? Um, But there is option B for any of those who refuse to have option A, uh, which is another place that we call hell. And so God, He created heaven and the, the plan is to invite everybody to be part of His family, family and, and spend eternity in heaven with Him. But of course, if people don't want that, He didn't create hell and send people to hell. He created a place who for people who didn't want to follow Him. And He said, if you don't want to be with me in eternity, you can have this other place. And that's a place that you don't want to go. I've heard people talk about hell and say, oh, that's where the party is at. Trust me, anybody that says that doesn't have a clue what it really is all about. I I heard someone say this morning, Pastor Cheryl, this was fed to me by her husband, that that she said that that hell's probably like a perpetual panic attack for eternity. If you've ever, it's not a party, it's a panic attack for eternity, right? So if you, if you, are looking for that right you can have it right but what it takes is to reject god see god never sends anyone to hell they send themselves there by saying i don't want anything to do with you god that's that's a choice that people make while they're alive now i know maybe a little bit you know it sounds a little bit dark this morning but guys remember you get to choose it doesn't have to be dark I mean, you get to choose where you go, right? By the, by the choices that you make. So let's just imagine for a second that even if you're, per, you're a person and you, you, you're not a person of faith, but these two places actually really did exist as we believe as Christians, you'd want to go to heaven, right? I am so worried about this side of the church because these guys come and sit at my right hand But to those on my left, you know, isn't that what the Scripture... Anyway, I'm a little bit concerned. I mean, if these two places exist, you'd want to go to heaven, right? Yes, of course. Okay, so you'd want to go to heaven. So so I, I thought I'd take a moment just to explain to you how to actually get to heaven. And there is a way to do it. And all it requires of you is to be holy. And what that means is, is that you need to be perfect in righteousness. I'll just tr- say it this way. You just, to get in, you just need to be perfect. And somebody's going to listen to that and say, that is ridiculous, right? Because, because every single one of us in this room knows, whether we're a person of faith or not, every single person in this room knows that they're not perfect. So then you go, well, that's ridiculous. Why would they set the standard so high? No one will ever be able to get there, right? I, I know, I get that part. Right. But how about this? What, what I suggest to you is instead of you facing that test, why don't you just get someone else to take the test for you? Yeah? Because anyone that tries to pass that test on their own will fail, Right? but it just happens to be that Jesus has already taken the test and passed it 2,000 years ago. He's got all the answers and people that put their faith and their trust in Him and what He's done, they will pass the test. How do they pass it? What's that got to do with them? Well, if you put your faith in Jesus, He does not exchange with you. And what He does is He paid the penalty for all of your sins and your mistakes on the cross. But Jesus lived a perfectly righteous life, the one that you couldn't live. And when you accept Him as your Lord and Saviour, He takes your punishment, but He gives you His perfect life. Isn't that amazing? That's why I say that as Christian people, we should be the least Self, most self-righteous people on planet earth. Why? Because we should know better than anyone that all of our righteousness just came to us as a gift of grace by God. We're not self-righteous. We got that from God. And, and, and this is what it means. It means that even if you're not perfect, but you're in a relationship with God through Jesus, And you've messed up, you can still come into the presence of God because when God looks down on you, He doesn't see all of your mistakes. He sees the perfection of His Son because this is something we call imputed righteousness. He gives you His righteousness as a gift and that is absolutely beautiful. This is why we say that the Gospel is a Gospel of grace. I want to read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone has made that decision to accept Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. It says, The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, not from you. You did nothing to deserve this. This is all from God, who through Christ reconciled the world To himself. The scripture says that you become something new. And this new thing that you become, this new creation in Christ, it didn't come as a result of what you've done. All of it came from him who, through Jesus, he reconciled to himself. Now you understand the gospel. This is what the gospel is all about, this is what we talk about in church. That's why the gospel is such an encouraging message. See, we, this whole series, we've talked about the fact that you are handcrafted, that you are handpicked, that you are handheld. But can I tell you something this morning? Is that the same hands that made you are the same hands that also deliver you? They deliver you. Do you know the word saviour means to save or to deliver? That's what it actually means. You, you can't, Deliver yourself, you have been delivered. That's something that God did for you. He saved you. Saved you from what? Well, saved you from option B. To go into a relationship with God in eternity for option A, that was heaven. This is the one that everyone wants, but you're not going to get in there by yourself. The only way that you get in there is to give your life to Jesus and confess Him as your Lord and Savior. And if you do, you get grace and grace will transform you from who you are into something new, a new creation. Evidently, you are changed. You are different. Do you know what that means? That means that you are not all the things that you used to be anymore. If you're a new creation, what comes with that is a new identity. What comes with that is a spiritual family. You are not who you were. You have been changed, amen? You have been changed, but that change will happen on the inside and it's not always obvious to everyone from the outside. When I rededicated my life to Jesus, I was 21 and I didn't walk in with a t shirt that said, Just gave my life to Jesus on the weekend. <laughs> I mean, if they sold one, I might have bought it, but they didn't. And so, you know, I, I, I just kept living my life. It was interesting, though, because I had become a new creation. And things began to shift in me. It took a little while, but things began to shift in my life. After a while, people started to notice different things about me and they said, Hey, What's changed about you? I said, well, I've become a Christian, and they're like, oh, is that what it is? And they're like, so what does that mean? And I'm like, well, it means everything. It, it actually goes to the core of who I am. It's not just I haven't just added a little something extra onto my life. It's completely redefined who I am. They're like, so what about all the stuff you used to do? I said, what stuff? They're like, come on, mate. You know, well, they, 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 some of them, they, we have a conversation about it. They're like, what about this? And I'm like, no, nah, don't do that anymore. What about this? No, nah, don't do that anymore. This. Yeah, that one's okay. But the other stuff? No, nah, I don't do any of that. And they're trying to figure out how is this change taking place? Well, I've become a new creation. And you know what? When somebody becomes a new creation, here's what tends to happen. When you become a Christian, you don't forget all of your past. It's not like you become a Christian and God goes, okay, we're just going to wipe your memory. We're going to start clean slate. It's like you're a, um, a, a temple now and nothing's ever happened in your past. It doesn't happen like that. When you become a Christian, you remember everything you did before you were a Christian. And you know what else, guys? Honestly, you actually carry habits from your old life sometimes into your new life. So just because you become a Christian doesn't mean immediately you get free. So sometimes we go through a process of experiencing this freedom as it comes. There is a word for this in the scriptures, actually. They call it sanctification. It's, it's the work of being made holy. And here's the cool part. It doesn't happen by sheer guts and determination. It happens because the Spirit of God is doing a work in you. So sometimes what happens is we act out of our old nature but that's not who you are. It's not who you are. And every now and then our old nature wants to rise up. And it wants to act. And I feel like, you know, when you become a Christian, yes, you have a new nature. And the old stuff may want to try to come back. And that's why you just keep putting it to death in your life. And if you do this on a continual basis, and for some people, it's a decision that they wake up and make every day before it gets easier, depending on what it is. But guess what, guys? If you wake up every day and you do that, people start to see. You start to have, you know, what the Bible would call this fruit in your life. You know, good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. I know it's not revelation, but it makes sense, doesn't it? If if the fruit is good, the tree is healthy, amen? So when people start seeing these things, you're you're shifting, you're transforming, you're you're acting out of this new creation that you are, people can see that there's a vibrant, spiritual life that's there as a result of God's grace being poured out into your life. And I know that when you become a Christian, sometimes there's things that you struggle with. It, it, It can happen, of course. So, you find yourself in a position where you're not who you want to be, but thank God by His grace, you're not who you used to be. And even in that moment, if you, if you ever do act out of your old nature, even in that space right there, I'll tell you something about God. He said, He still loves you. And He still calls you family. He still says when you mess up, He still says you're mine. I love it because He kind of dusts you off and you, 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 you repent, you turn back towards God. And, you know, He says, come on, let's do this again. He still loves you. Can I read what the Scriptures say in John chapter 1, verse 12, which says, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. You know what I love about this? It says, it doesn't say, but to all who received Him, who behaved in His name. That's going to come as revelation to some of you because you thought that your proximity to God had everything to do with how well you behaved. It says, for those who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. It's beautiful. You're in the family of God. He says, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor by the will of man, but of God." See, Even if you mess up, And even if every single person in your life has rejected you, and some of you have probably experienced incredible rejection in life. Someone that you really wanted to love you, but they just didn't love you back. And I'll tell you the thing about God is that you never have to worry about if that will happen with God, because His love is fixed. Where was it fixed? On the cross. And if you can put your faith in what Jesus did, then you can wake up every day and in your heart say, God, I know that you love me and you can know that it's true. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's unimaginably committed to you and He loves you with all of His heart. But knowing that God loves you and knowing how much it costs Him, they're actually separate things. They're different things. My kids, oh, my kids cost me. (sighs) I've got this one kid that I'm not going to mention by name but he just keeps growing and he's getting bigger. And I've bought for him two new pairs of shoes. They're months old. And he came to me yesterday and he said, Dad, my toes touching." me. I said, don't you even finish that sentence, mate. I just bought you two new pairs of shoes, right? He was wearing one pair. And then he came out later on his LeBrons for basketball. And he came out, he said, Dad, I said, don't even say it, mate. Don't even don't even talk about it. We don't have the money to do this, right? You know, kids are expensive. They cost you. You know, we've got school fees, gymnastics. Gosh, gymnastics is expensive. If you want to save yourself some money, don't ever talk to your daughter about doing gymnastics, okay? It's expensive, okay? Not even joking. This is just parental advice for free. In- <laughs> so your kids are expensive. But you know what? Here's the truth. I don't mind paying the cost. You know why? I love them. I love them with all of my heart and I want to see them have every opportunity. So even though my kids cost me, I'm okay with it. You know, it's the same with you and God. You cost Him so much. That's the gospel. Not just that He saved you, but the cost that it came at. The fact that He died on the cross for your sins. The fact that God sent His one and only Son to pay the penalty for our sins and our mistakes. Are you you kidding me right now? And I'll I'll tell you something. There's never been a disagreement in the Trinity in, in the history of ever. So as much as God sent Him, He volunteered. Why would God come for you? It's easy. This is what I'm talking about. It's because He loves you people are trying to figure out what to put their identity in. And sadly, there's a, there's a world full of people that are putting their identity in things that will be lost, stolen, taken away. And here at the centre of the Scriptures is a message that says, don't put your identity in any of that, but put it in, God is saying, put it in who I say you are. I'm your owner. I'm your maker. I love you. I love you. I'm calling your family. You're mine. And that is a thing that's out of this world. See, it doesn't matter. And I've said this before. We, could take you and drop you anywhere on the planet you would have no natural resources and this would still be true for you this will never be taken from you you will always be a child of God and here's the great thing about putting your identity your faith and your hope in this death is the end of every hope except this one because this is the one that allows you to look past death into eternity and still have hope for the future it's beautiful. Let me read to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. It says, You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. That price was Jesus' death. The first century recipients of this letter would have understood this. In first century Christianity, this was written to a culture where masters would own slaves. And when someone wanted to buy a slave, they could, and then that slave would now have to serve their new master and do whatever they were told to do. And he's writing this to them and he's saying, you've been bought at a price, but instead of God turning you into a slave, he turns you into a son and a daughter of the King Most High. Why? Because at the centre of everything that he is, he wants to just call you family. It doesn't get better than this. I want you to stand to your feet this morning. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.